and welcome to the FM Podcast. I'm Jen Fritz, and I run Fritz Media, a music publicity and digital marketing firm located in Vancouver, Canada. And this is episode number 37 of the podcast. So the topic of this week's show is creating change. And I'm talking to Kezia Myers, who is someone who knows a lot about creating change in the Canadian music industry. Kezia is the executive director of Advance, which is Canada's Black Music Business Collective. And she also sits on the board and is the spokesperson for the Black Canadian Music Awards, which just started last year and just had their second annual awards. We talked about how music industry professionals can help level the playing field when it comes to diversity and inclusion, and she also offered some advice for Black musicians and music industry professionals that are currently frustrated by the lack of diversity in the Canadian music industry. It was a really great chat, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Kezia Myers. Well, hello, Kezia. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you, Jen? I'm doing okay. Uh, as I was telling you uh, before we got started, I'm a little frazzled today. <laughs> having one of those days. One of those days. I, I, and as I said before we uh, got on, I understand. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, you know what that's like. Yeah, you have a lot of things that you're doing as well. We've actually uh, never met in real life before, so nice to, to virtually meet you. But uh, I've been seeing you pop up a lot in Canadian press and on other podcasts because of your role as executive director for Advance, which is Canada's Black Music Business Collective. And you're also a a jury member and a spokesperson for the Black Canadian Music Awards, which just did its second annual awards presentation last month. But before we get to all of the things that you do, (laughs) let's start at the beginning. How did you get your start in the music industry? Oh, man. Uh, For me, that's going back, what, 15 years now. And uh, actually, maybe even a little bit longer than 15. But I got my start in the industry, on the industry side of it, just by working with some really prospective career um, uh, creators and artists in the industry. And it started when I was in and around my university years where I connected with some of these artists and creators who were just coming up. They were emerging. And I was in university And they looked at me and said, hey, Kezia, you are taking marketing and you're in business and why don't you help us? And I said, oh, okay, cool. And that's really where I started to see the other side of the industry from a business perspective. I am a classically trained musician. I play the flute, the violin, I sing, and I have my grade 10 AR in piano. Right. And so I've done the Royal Conservatory thing. I've done the performing thing at Roy Thompson Hall. And I just didn't realize all of the infrastructure that was behind the performers that would stand on stage. So I started literally, as so many of us in this industry, from the bottom and worked with some friends who became international sensations and incredible creators in their own right. And I just continued to ride the ever-changing industry in the wave of that into the various positions that I've had the pleasure of holding. Yeah, I saw actually that you you worked in publicity at the beginning. I so did. you have a little bit of an idea mm-hmm. of, of what what I do, which is, you know, crazy. Although 
it's probably a bit different than it was <laughs> back back when you were doing <laughs> Maybe. it. Maybe. I mean, it's still crazy. It was crazy then. So <laughs> yeah, yeah um, totally. That was, yeah. I mean, that was actually my first official role in the industry coming out of university. And I looked at my transferable skills. I was like, okay, I just came out of marketing and communications at university. I did a double major with sociology and started to apply. And I worked for an indie rock label uh, or indie rock uh, publicity firm. And it was downtown Toronto. I got my hands wet in everything indie, you know, the wooden sky, Yukon blonde. Uh, I did Reichsop, which is electronic. And then I was asked by that company to move to New York to head up their print and television initiatives. And there I was working with a lot of emerging artists, but then had a hand in releasing Maroon 5, um, Adam Levine's fashion line. And so I was seeing all these different aspects of the industry and uh, then came back, did some marketing at Universal Operations and uh, continued on. Oh, that's amazing. You have a, a very vast scope of, uh, of skills, which I think like a lot of people in the industry are like that. We've all tried a lot of things <laughs> and you, you kind of learn all of it, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So the, the topic of the show for this week is creating change, which you're doing a lot of. And it's hard to know where to start with all of this. But uh, since the second annual Black Canadian Music Awards just happened, uh, maybe we'll start there. What led to the creation of the awards last year? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as you said, this is the second year of the Black Canadian Music Award. And what led to it was you know, recognizing that there was lack of diversity within the music industry as a whole, but also an opportunity to amplify the voices of racialized peoples who may not have had their shine previously. Uh, there are a number of organizations and awards within Canada, organizations that push these awards throughout Canada. And this one was specifically built out for the Black uh, music creator, uh, whether that be a com composer or a producer or a lyricist or songwriter. And uh, leading up to it, I was actually working at SOCAN at the time, and it was Charlie Walla Andrews, who is the executive director of the SOCAN Foundation, that reached out and said, hey, Kezia, you know, I have this idea. I think this would be phenomenal for us to do as a foundation. And so her, myself, and a couple others who uh, were at SOCAN worked together to build something that would highlight the this black excellence in this very public way. And it was amazing to see it all come together so quickly, because as you said, this is the second year. <laughs> so first year, uh, it was about making sure that everybody heard about the award, but also that the community felt that there was a place that they could submit to and an award that was just for them. Oh, totally. That That's great. Now, there isn't like an actual award show. It's just you award, you have like, say, five winners a year. And you got it. Yes. And it's a, uh, a cash prize. Yes, cash prize. Um, thanks to Sirius XM, we have been able to give a cash prize of 5000 per winner. And this year we had a special recognition award. And those winners also received a small, smaller cash prize. 
So it's, it's been pretty awesome because that, that can change a life in terms of like putting out your next body of work in some cases, or at least recording it. Yeah, totally. It makes all the difference when, when you're an artist, especially these days. Wow. All right. So you also recently, like last year, became uh, the executive director of Advance, which is amazing. Um, what can you tell us uh, about your role there? Well, I can say that it is good work, lots of work, but good work. And I oversee a national organization that's focused on diversifying the music industry and uh, is really looking at the inclusivity and belonging of Black music business professionals within this sector. We often see so many, so many artists that are producing music of Black origin, they are Black, producing music, all of these various uh, areas where the creator or the artist is in this space. However, sometimes when we look at the corporations and we look at the organizations and behind the scenes at your your favorite venues, you don't see that diversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't see Black people who are working in these spaces. And the question is why? And the reasoning can go back all the way to historical contexts where music was written by Black people, performed by white people, and money was put into the pockets of white people. And, you know, Elvis is a good example. Chuck Berry, Black man, wrote Elvis's uh, music, and Elvis was the forefront. The person making the money was the label that supported and and the royalties, etc., So, you know, so important in the work that I'm doing with Advance to create change is recognizing the need to have everybody at your table, everybody in that boardroom, uh, the ability for various voices to be heard in decision-making positions. So that when it comes to us having incredible talent like the winners of the Black Canadian Music Award, They are championed throughout various organizations, spaces, venues, because there is a shared experience and there's an understanding of the culture. And there's a lack of, uh, right now, there's a lack of representation on the business side. So unfortunately, sometimes that means that on the creative side, our creators fall flat in Canada and feel there's a need for them to go to the U.S. Yeah, we've seen quite a few instances of that recently, for sure. Um, also, in the last few years, uh, we've had, or even just recently, we've seen uh, a few reports come out, like uh, we had the one from SEMA called Breaking Down Racial Barriers about anti-Black racism in the Canadian music industry. Mm-hmm. Also, the Canadian Live Music Association just released one called Closing the Gap. And I encourage uh, all of my uh, fellow white people that work in the music industry to read both of those Mm -hmm. reports. They're fantastic. They have great information. And what both show is uh, what you're saying. We clearly have (laughs) very far to go when it comes to diversity and inclusion on the music business side. So I'm wondering, you know, like uh, what steps, what are like some steps that uh, music industry professionals, like say business owners, can take to, to help level the playing field? Of course. Uh, well, first, one of the first steps is looking at your organization and doing an internal audit. Where are we lacking voices that are not like mine? If I was in an organization and I looked around and everybody's voice was the same, then how are we benefiting the industry? Kind of doing that internal audit. 
Um, upon doing that internal audit, if we realize that we need some more diverse representation within our organization, before we go and get that diverse representation, we work on training the people within the organization so that somebody coming into that space isn't felt, it isn't feeling unsafe, isn't feeling like they are a byproduct of tokenism and that they aren't left with lack of resources because the company is actually not ready, has not prepared themselves to openly provide resources to these new hires. Then after doing some training, then I would look at going to the, you know, reaching out to advance an organization like advance and giving that job posting to advance to put on our job post uh, on our Instagram. So every two weeks we post jobs on our Instagram It is the most engaged part of all of our social media efforts. And it results in so many people seeing job positions that they wouldn't typically see. Mm -hmm. Because if you're pasting it in a place that the community is not looking, then organizations often wonder, well, I'm not getting the applicants that I want. And oftentimes it's just because you're not putting it in a place where that community is looking frequently. Yeah. The other thing to do is when this is something that advanced uh, offers is looking at your uh, the people that have come in looking to be hired so your applicants and advanced actually provides three recommendations to assist in bridging the gap we realize there's a gap we realize that there is unconscious bias that is still at play and what we don't want is for Black applicants to apply and for them not to get interviews because one may not understand their experiences and or you know one an organization may not have that cultural context. So a lot of organizations will work with advance. We will provide three recommendations and we will look at the job posting and ask questions like it says that they need to be in the industry for 10 years. Is that truly the case? you know, kind of deconstructing what that job posting looks like, you know, some roles, you don't need to be in the industry. And so uh, these are some of the steps that we can take. And then of course, continual learning, uh, reaching out and working with organizations from various cultural backgrounds and, and making sure that we're, we're uh, taking rates based data. And that's really important, especially the larger organizations looking at trends and understanding We've noticed a decline in uh, the amount of people that are applying within our space. And they're v- specifically, this is maybe the reason why, or a lot of people are leaving the company and they're coming from these cultural backgrounds. I wonder why. And then just looking at it from that analytic lens also. Yeah, totally. I mean, there there must be, this is kind of like, I guess, a bit of a tough question, because I'm sure you have so many, but what are some of your goals, say, over the next few years as uh, ED at Advance? Uh, tough question, but it because uh, <laughs> there's so many and there's so much work to do. But one of the bigger goals is to see more Black music business professionals in decision-making positions, which would include senior management, vice president positions, or C-suite positions and board positions. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at that pipeline and understanding the decision-making capabilities of someone and the autonomy that they have in various spaces 
actually helps to uplift the industry so that, to what we talked about before, some of these great artists that we see in the Black Canadian Music Award don't go to the U.S. because they feel further supported there. Um, Other goals that we have is to grow our internal membership at advance, wanting to make sure that we are touching all of the Black music business professionals and acting as a support for them. And then the last goal would be to continue to develop that pipeline. So we've actually just um, inked a deal with the Toronto District School Board, whereby we actually have a program that grade 11s and 12s can take, and it is called the Music Industry Discovery Program. And this is where they learn about careers in the music industry so that they can go, you know, think about going to post-secondary or doing a post-secondary mentorship program in the field so that that can go into an internship and then... That's amazing. I know that education is a very big part of of what you do, which I love because it's also something that I love doing in the music industry as well, because it's so hard for people to find the knowledge I find. (laughs) It is. is. Yeah. And, And you know what? In the industry, it's also lots of knowledge coming at you and not everybody has the right knowledge. And sometimes the knowledge changes, Mm -hmm. right? Like you look at copyright and licensing forever, or for instance, and you'll see the change over the years into what's licensed, what's the rate, how is this licensed? So something like performing rights, as an example, are areas where there's pivots and there's changes and there's growth, but you need to stay on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of conversations at conferences and, you know, Juno Awards and that sort of thing over the years, kind of addressing diversity and inclusion in the Canadian music industry. And I, the one thing that always comes up, you know, eventually will be the idea of meritocracy, where a lot of the people at the top, I don't know a nice way to say it, but think they deserve to be there, that they, that they got there like through their own, they were the best and, and, and they got there. I wonder like what's how you deal with that sort of thinking, because I'm sure you come up against that in your role at Advance. Absolutely, uh, we do. And, you know, the nice thing to say is that there are a lot that understand their privilege and their white privilege specifically, and oftentimes their cis male white privilege specifically. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's others that don't. And when it comes up across my desk or a conversation I'm given the opportunity to have a conversation openly about it. It's really at looking at systemic barriers. Yes, you are at the top of an organization, but why are you at the top of the organization? And if I use the example of a cis white male, now I'm saying, well, beyond the fact that you are good at what you've do, you do, you've been given opportunities that others may not have been given, or the opportunities that you have been given have been highlighted even though there's someone over here who's been doing the exact same thing in a different cultural context and has maybe even had even larger successes, but they haven't been amplified in Canada. They may have been amplified in another country. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, if I speak of the South Asian community, there are a lot of Punjabi hip hop artists that are widely renowned in South Asia that come to Canada. But we don't see it as a, on our radar in Canadian media. Yeah, we have a big, uh, particularly I'm in Vancouver and I know like Surrey is where, where that's happening and it's crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yet, you know, you don't see it in FYI news, yeah. for instance, right? 
So when it when I have the opportunity to speak about it, it's really looking at it from a collaboration standpoint. And that's how I move within the industry. That's how advanced as a whole moves within the industry is how can we assist? But let's show you some of these hard facts. Yes, you are absolutely good at what you do. However, there are systemic constructs, there's systemic barriers, there's financial barriers, socioeconomic barriers. There are many barriers that are layered one on top of the other, compounded that haven't allowed this other brilliant mind to excel the way that you are you have been able to. Yeah, absolutely. All right, just kind of like wrapping things up a little bit here. I'm wondering what advice you would give to any black musicians or uh, black music industry professionals that are maybe currently frustrated by the lack of opportunities in the Canadian music industry. I love this one because uh, I am glass half full type of person. Uh, So I would say to that person, a, reach out to advance. There are ways in which we can connect you with music business professionals. Although we recognize we are here because of creators and artists, we also have a large group of people working behind the scenes that could be, you know, could be good resources for you. I also would say have a renewed understanding that advance is here to advocate for you as an artist, a creator, and a music business professional. So those conversations are happening. Um, I would also say have patience um, (laughs) because as much as those conversations are happening and you should have confidence in an organization like Advance, it does take time. Um, But we are opening the eyes. We are having opportunities to have conversations and, you know, if you look at this year at the Junos, you know, to any Black artist, creator, I would say, look at the nominee list of the Junos this year. It was the most diverse nominee set that I have ever seen. And I think that has ever actually come out of the Junos, which says something about progression. And now it's up to us as a community, as and when I say community, the entire music industry community to really keep that going and keep the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, if you are a musician or a music industry professional, try to become a voting member (laughs) (laughs) for the Juno Awards. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Honestly, Jen, that's, that's so good because people don't even realize how it works. Yeah, they don't. And so sometimes from the community, they'll say, well, why did so-and-so get nominated and -and so-and-so didn't get nominated? And uh, yeah, what Jen said, become a voting member because that's how we get a more diverse set of nominees and winners. That's right. (laughs) You got to make it less white. (laughs) So now seems like a a good time to, to head on over to our fresh content segment. Every week on this show, we discuss our favorite piece of music content for the week. And we always like to start with the guest. So what do you got for us? (laughs) All right. Well, this week I have Classic um, by Adria Kane featuring Layla Day. Incredible song. Uh, It came in a couple of years ago. Uh, I would just like to say, you know, Adria has just done an incredible job and continues to reach new heights. So check out the music when you have a chance. All right. So um, my fresh content for the week is a podcast. It's Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums podcast, and it's really good. What they do is each episode, they just randomly pick an album from that 500 list and then do a full episode on that album. And 
how the album was made. You know, sometimes they'll they'll talk to the artist. It's really great. I've learned a lot about some albums I've never listened to, and I'm trying to like listen to it and then listen to the album if I haven't listened to it. But anyway, they started last year and they just started season two in February and they've done some really great albums. Like, I don't know, particularly they've had some really good ones from the 90s that just, you know, I felt a little nostalgic. So uh. oh, that's, awesome. that's what I used to love about um, Video Fact. Oh, yeah. When, uh, it was on Much Music. Pop up video. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. just I it, love it. It. and and even with Spotify, sometimes Spotify gives you the like little tidbits of information. So I feel like I would really love that that podcast. Yeah, totally. So we'll put the links for both of those things uh, in the show notes, so everybody can check them out. And hey, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I know you're very busy. Well, you know, never too busy to have a really fun conversation, which this was. So thank you. <laughs> ah, I love it. Is there anything you want to plug before you go? I'd like to just say congratulations yet again to the Black Canadian Music Award winners and the special recognition winners. I just uh, I, I want to really just mention how much work they continue to put in and uh, how good they are. And I can't wait to see all of them reach the unprecedented heights that they're going to reach. Amazing. All right. Well, that's a great note to leave it on. So have a good day. Bye. You too. Ciao. <laughs> Well, that was such a great talk. I, I really hope you liked it. And thanks again to Kezia for coming on the show. Thanks so much for listening to the FM podcast. If you like the show, please tell your friends and give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcasts. It really helps us out. And uh, you can also help us out by telling a friend about the podcast or maybe even posting about it on social media. Whatever you can do, you know, we'd really appreciate it. The FM Podcast is produced by Fritz Media with production assistance from Carla J. If you want to learn more about Fritz Media, check out our website at fritzmedia.ca. And you can follow us on Facebook, we're at Fritz Media, and on Instagram and Twitter at Fritz underscore media. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to the fmpodcast.com. A big thank you to Said the Whale for providing the theme music for the show, and you can find them at saidthewhale.com. Okay, so we're going to go with our song of the week this week, which is the latest single from The Blue and Gold, which is a brand new duo made up of Trish Klein and Indidio. And this is their latest single, When the Levee Breaks.
I'll see you next Tuesday.